Hi, everyone. Welcome to Millennium Live, a digital diary podcast. We sit down with the top C-suite executives and talk all things digital transformation. Global research and advisory firm 451 Research works closely with the Millennium Alliance both on-site and behind the scenes, sharing their reports and expertise in the digital enterprise and financial services space. Jordan McKee, Research Director of Customer Experience and Commerce, is a frequent Millennium Assembly attendee, and this time he presented to our attendees his 2020 outlook on payments, fintech, and beyond. He also shared with us his predictions for the new year. Are they accurate so far? Let's listen and learn. Jordan, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Can you share with our members and audience a little bit more about yourself and your work at 451 Research? Yeah, happy to. So, you know, 451 Research is an IT research and advisory firm. We've been around for about two decades now, and really the premise of the firm is to focus on innovation and emerging technologies and the respective markets that we look after. You know, we're obsessed with this idea of change, and it's our goal to unpack what change means for our clients. For me, I look at change through the lens of the payments industry. So I focus on innovation and emerging tech, um, the issuing and acquiring sides of the payments business and follow that across the value chain and really look at changes in consumer payment preference, the types of form factors that they're using at the point of sale, and also changes in how merchants and enterprises are accepting payments from their customers. Keeps you busy. It sure does. Has your passion for commerce and technology, where does it come from? Has it always been in your life or did you have a certain experience that you know, triggered it? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I, I would say I've always been a curious person, and that's what makes the industry analyst gig pretty fun. Right? You get to constantly ask the question why, uh, ask how things work and why they work the way they do, and, and sort of have all these conversations and then take a step back and distill them and, and sort of form a unique perspective on how things are fitting together. But when it comes to you know, payments and financial services, that's a great question. I mean, I can remember you know, when I was a, a little guy, right? I would, I would be at restaurants with my mom, and you know, as, as we were you know, paying the bill, right, she would dump out all her change on the counter and let me count it out, right? Let me yeah. get like the exact amount for, uh, for, for what the payment total due is. And I, I guess since that point, I've always kind of been fascinated with this idea of, of currency and money movement. And you know, as I uh, you know, sort of entered into the analyst space, I was doing a lot of work around mobile and telco, and, and those two worlds were beginning to converge around you know, 2011, 2012. So I got to kind of marry this, uh, this passion for financial services with all this interesting stuff that's going on on the mobile and digital tech side of things, and that's sort of what brought me to where I am today. Well, and now no one you know, gives out cash at a restaurant. You just, you know, it's numbers on the screen. That's right. That's right. Yeah, everything's going digital. Right? Yeah. I mean, it, being fair, right, cash isn't going away. Yeah. It's, it's not going to disappear anytime soon. But I think what we continue to see is consumers looking to move funds in a way that's more efficient and convenient for them. And in many cases, that's through electronic payment methods. Yeah, for sure. Can you share with us some of 451's take on the major payments and the fintech trends? Yeah, yeah, there's been uh, no shortage of developments this year from a payment standpoint. And I think what we'll continue to see is the pace of change rapidly accelerating as we move into the new year. You know, a couple things top of mind for me, one of which is increasing issuance of contactless cards in the U.S. market. So the ability to actually tap your physical card on the payment terminal. If you listen to Visa's earnings call just a, a few weeks back, they said they'd already put 100 million contactless cards into the U.S. market. At 451, we think that by the end of next year, there'll be over 400 million contactless cards. And this is a very exciting trend for card issuers because... You know, what we see in our survey data is that for those consumers that already have a contactless card in their wallet, 
and are using that tap to pay functionality, 48% say they're using the card more frequently. So it's a nice story around driving top of wallet for the banks and um, you know, certainly helping to displace cash and drive more volume towards debit. A couple others I'd call out. I think we'll see a lot of movement around uh, installment payment methods. Uh, so this is an emerging threat to the credit card industry. Players like Affirm and Klarna, uh, Afterpay that give consumers the flexibility, in some cases without interest, to divide uh, a purchase into three or four installments. And we're seeing a lot of interest on the consumer side. We see you know, over uh, half of millennials and half of Gen Z say that uh, the availability of this type of installment payment service would increase their likelihood of completing a large purchase at checkout. And, um, you know, starting to see some large retailers jump on board like Abercrombie and Fitch and uh, Warby Parker and Casper and others. So I think more to come there next year. And, and the last one I would toss out is, you know, starting to see payment processors really looking to evolve their value propositions. They realize that, you know, they have to do more than just move funds from point A to point B to add value. Mm -hmm. And so you're seeing a lot of focus around this idea of payment optimization and payment orchestration, payment processors taking steps to help their enterprise customers lift their approval rates, push back against false declines, and, and ultimately grow their business, right? Reclaim revenue yep. that's being left on the table. So that's just a sampling of you know, some of the things that we're, we're looking out for. So quick follow-up on the tap-and-go, because, you know, being from Australia, and I know other markets around the world, we've had tap-and-go for years, yeah, like years and years. That's right. Why, why do you think that the U.S. markets have just have been so much slower at the adoption? Yeah, no, it's a great question, and, and you're absolutely right. So, you know, in 24 countries around the world, contactless payments account for half or more of face-to-face -face transaction volume. Uh, and again, you're right, it's been a very slow uh, adoption curve here in the U.S. market. You know, the, the first issue was we just didn't have the acceptance infrastructure at the point of sale. That's finally starting to fall into place as uh, merchants began upgrading uh, their payment terminals for EMV, right, chip cards. Mm -hmm. Back in 2015, most of those new terminals uh, that have come into the market have contactless capability. So we've just gotten to that point, you know, where, where acceptance is actually at a decent spot. And then from there, right, we, we never really had contactless cards in a meaningful way. Uh, mobile just kind of leapfrogged that. And the challenge that we see with, with mobile payments today, right, Apple Pay, Google Pay at the point of sale, still con you know, security concerns and misconceptions. Uh, and also, we see in our research, a, a high percentage of consumers say they're, they're just not interested right now. You know, their credit card works just fine. And so I think we're finally at that point where the card issuers have realized, hey, let's cash in on this base of contactless terminals. Let's start issuing contactless cards. And I think what you'll see, like you alluded to in markets like the UK, Australia, Canada, is contactless cards really starting to drive a higher percentage of transactions at the point of sale. Yeah. Do you think on the consumer side, you know, people just, they like having you know, their money separate from their phone? Yeah, I think, I think that's absolutely a factor. And a lot of that has to do with security, right? Yeah. There are, are you know, inherent security concerns anytime you begin to merge technology with financial services. And for consumers that don't have a breadth of knowledge around the you know, security and fraud prevention mechanisms that are being used uh, to protect their transactions, things like biometrics or payment tokenization, um, they're naturally apprehensive, right? So until... You know, we as an industry do a better job of educating consumers around the different safeguards that are in place to protect them. I think, you know, it'll still be a long road for adoption for, you know, contactless mobile yeah. payments. There's been a significant amount of mergers and acquisitions in the payment industry. What is driving consolidation and, you know, in your mind, will it continue? 
Yeah, there, there's been no shortage of deal activity and payments. So if we look at 451's M&A knowledge base, we see since uh, 2016, there's been an average of one payment company acquired every three days, which is just an incredible rate. Uh, we look at the amount of uh, deal activity this year. There's been three acquisitions in particular that have uh, been above $20 billion. So where we sit in time today, a quarter of global tech M&A spending this year has gone into the payments industry. So again, just kind of underscoring the amount of activity. And I think it's, it's two things in particular. What you're seeing is incumbents, right? Companies like legacy payment processors looking to double down on what's always made them successful in payments. So, you know, investing inorganically in scale and enhanced distribution capabilities. Um, but it's also, you know, well-established players looking to reinvent themselves realizing that they have to do more than just be these pipes that move transactions from point A to point B, right, to start to evolve their value propositions and fill gaps in their product portfolio. So we continue to see are a lot of tuck-in deals, right, small to mid-sized acquisitions that are really designed, right, to, to get incumbents to embrace a broader value proposition. And that can include, you know, things like pulling in new revenue streams beyond just their core transaction processing business. Fantastic. So through your research, you've talked a lot about the emerging opportunity at the intersection of IoT and payments. Can you share with us why this is such an exciting area for industry stakeholders to focus on? Yeah, it's a fascinating opportunity. I mean, the, the way in which you know, we view the Internet of Things at 451 is as an expansion of the payment acceptance network, right? Everything from wearables to smart home devices to connected cars are gradually gaining commerce capabilities. They're becoming new endpoints for commerce. If we look at our IoT market monitor uh, that we've developed at 451, we think over the next you know, five to six years, we're going to see six billion new internet-connected devices come into our world, right? And all of those have the opportunity to conduct transactions. So why this is exciting is it, it effectively makes commerce easier, right? It makes it easier for consumers to act on an impulse and make that purchase the time or the place that they're choosing, whether that's in their vehicle Right, purchasing a you know quick service meal, or if that's uh, via a wearable device, tapping it on the point of sale, or or just shouting at Amazon Alexa saying, you know, you need to reorder, um, you know, toothbrush heads, right? Whatever the case might be, IoT is is making commerce more accessible for everybody, and that's exciting for payments because it speaks to the opportunity for new volume to flow through the industry. And do you anticipate, you know, the tech companies, we talked about this a little, like Apple and Google, competing more directly with the banks in the years ahead? Yeah, I think it's inevitable. Um, and, and what we've seen even this week, right, is Google entering into a, a potential partnership, a, a rumored partnership with Citi uh, and Stanford FCU to launch a checking account product next year. Uh, you've seen Apple this year launch the Apple Card in partnership with Goldman Sachs, so making a concerted jump into the credit card business. Uh, and the, the reason that these tech companies like payments, one, it's, it's data, right? Mm -hmm. Unique insights on consumer spending behaviors and purchase patterns. Uh, and payments are sticky, right? It's an it's a activity that has a habitual nature to it. It's an activity um, that you're doing on a frequent basis. So tech companies like that amount of engagement. It means more engagement with their brand or their products or what have you. So, again, I think we'll continue to see Silicon Valley making inroads into banking. Um, but the point to be made is they aren't necessarily looking to become banks themselves, right? Yeah. Most, most tech companies don't want to be banks, right? They don't want to be regulated. They don't want all the complexity that comes with financial services. They'd much rather partner with regulated entities as Apple has done with Goldman Sachs. 
the threat for banks, right, is these tech companies want to own the consumer experience, right? They want to be the consumer-facing yeah. brand. So, you know, that's where the challenge lies today. And, you know, then, like, yeah, if Amazon gets into the payments, they literally have the, con you know, the entire... The entire process, the That's entire right. experience. That's right. And, you know, and Amazon Pay, right, yeah. is a reality today, right? Yeah. They're, you know, pushing into the market a, a digital wallet product and, you know, they want the data, right? Yeah. The data is incredibly valuable. So, similarly, last month Uber Money was announced and it will include a digital wallet and upgrade to debit and credit cards. What do you predict the impact of, you know, other big companies just continuing to disrupt the payment industry? I think it's, it's only going to accelerate, right? You know, the, the belief that I have is just about every technology at some point, any, every technology company at some point in time is going to become a fintech company, whether that's through offering a banking service or a payment product or a lending service, right? You're seeing companies from across the technology landscape try to couple themselves more closely with financial services. Uber's a great example of that. They have a marketplace business model. They can serve the drivers with things like potentially insurance uh, and lending, right? If they're looking to upgrade their automobile, they can serve, right, consumers that might be underbanked that are looking for perhaps uh, a payment product, a payment card that allows them to feel like they're more included in the financial ecosystem. And, and you'll see, you know, very similar things from other tech companies, right? Square is a great example, yeah. right? With the cash app, they continue to use P2P payments as a beachhead to launch a variety of different types of add-ons like investments and debit card products and so forth. So I think that the trend will only you know, continue to accelerate. Yeah. And what do you see is driving consumers to purchase more online and how big can the digital commerce market get? Yeah. Yeah, no, great question. I mean, what we've seen at 451, we've done some forecasting around this, is by 2022, I think about $5.8 trillion will be spent online. Uh, we're going to move from about one out of every $10 globally being spent online last year to almost one out of every $5 globally by 2022. Um, and the rate of growth is significant. So digital sales channels like e-commerce and mobile growing at about six to seven X the rate of in-store. Uh, and, the, and the factors driving this, right, it's a confluence of factors. So it's the emergence of uh, the on-demand economy. You know, 10 years ago, I'm swiping my credit card on a Verifone terminal in the back of a Manhattan taxi cab. Today, I pop open Lyft or Uber. And it's things like omni-channel. You know, 10 years ago, I'm going to a home improvement store to navigate the maze of aisles to get a power tool. But today I'm lazy. I'll just do a, a click and collect experience. I'll buy online, pick up in store, even the subscription economy. You know, a decade ago, I go into a, you know, a store like Target right, to get some shaving razors. Today I subscribe to the Dollar Shave Club. Right? So there's just a confluence of forces that are kind of guiding consumers to go digital first to get whatever product or service they might need to, to you know, support their needs. Everyone thinks, oh yeah, everything's just on, yeah, online. But it's not. Right. No, very true, right? The, the, the experience at the physical point of sale is not going away anytime soon, right? Even though the customer journey is becoming more digitized, um, consumers still have an affinity for physical experiences, right? Whether that's going into a grocery store to select out the perfect piece of produce they want or going into a fashion store uh, to ensure that they can try on all these different outfits that work for the function that they're going to be attending that night, right? There are still attributes of the physical shopping journey that resonate with consumers. We, we don't think that's going to disappear. We yeah. just think that, you know, digital experiences will intertwine with it more. Yeah. So switching gears, you know, we're here in Miami. We've been lucky enough to have you join us at a, a few assemblies. What do you find uh, valuable about, you know, working with the Millennium Alliance and, you know, coming to our assemblies? 
Yeah, I think this is my third assembly that I've uh, had an opportunity to attend. And, you know, for me, it's you know, the, the big factor is, is just the caliber of the audience here, right? The caliber of the attendees. It's an opportunity to get in front of very senior level decision makers that have uh, unique influence in their own organizations, that have unique perspective on how technologies are impacting their businesses. And so the opportunity to sit down with some of these leaders and have very detailed conversations around things like, vendor partnership opportunities, emerging technologies is, is second to none, right? This audience is by and away, right? One of the, the most uh, detailed when it comes to being able to talk to the influence of technology uh, across all industries. Yeah, that's a good point. And what do you say, you know, for all the executives like the ones here with us at the assembly, um, the benefit of working with the Millennium Alliance, you know, people always say to us, oh, it's great getting out of the office. Yeah, I mean, aside from getting to go to beautiful locations, right, which is, is obviously nice, the, the benefit is, is networking, right? The benefit is getting to talk to industry peers uh, around the challenges that they're confronting in their own businesses, to compare notes, right, on adoption patterns or trends or opportunities, challenges, what have you, um, and to, to meet potential partners, right, potential partners that can help them reinvigorate their business, right, drive change within their own organization, right, the opportunity to accomplish both of those things in a couple-day period is, is a pretty powerful value prop. Yeah, and, and the idea sharing. And absolutely, right? I mean, I think the, the opportunity, right, to um, share new concepts, right, to share market data, Right, to have new perspectives kind of embedded within uh, your own organization is, is, a, is a powerful opportunity. And what excites you about the partnership between 451 Research and the Millennium Alliance? It's been a great partnership, and I think what, what we value right, is the opportunity, um, again, to get in front of a very senior-level audience and share our market data, right? share the perspectives that we're developing on the impact of technology, um, and to get reactions, right, from some of these people that are on the front line, right, that are actually driving the force of change in their own organization to see where certain concepts are resonating and where certain concepts may not be resonating, right? So the opportunity for that idea to, again, exchange ideas and compare notes really across the whole technology stack is, um, is incredibly useful. Can't let you go without asking, what's your number one prediction and your number one tip for the C-suite executives for 2020? So I'll start with the number one tip. Um, I would say the, the number one tip is to stay curious, right? Again, that's what I get to do as an industry analyst, and it opens me up to uh, a lot of new concepts and a lot of new ideas as it relates to the role of technology and how technology can drive change within an organization. Right? So always ask the question, why? Right? Why is this technology useful? What can it do for me? Right? What is unique about this particular vendor's value proposition? Right? Stay curious about all of these things. You know, my number one prediction is uh, when it comes to machine learning. Right? Mm -hmm. We've been talking about uh, AI and ML for, for a while now, uh, but what we're seeing in our own research is enterprises really starting to implement this technology, right? really starting to drive business outcomes by better extracting insights from their own data. Right? So I would encourage enterprises to be increasingly creative when it comes to pulling insights out of the vast amounts of data that they have at their disposal you know, across their organizations. Jordan McKay, thank you very much for joining us here in Miami, and we'll see you again soon. Absolutely. Pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for tuning in. Make sure to listen and subscribe to our podcast exclusively on iTunes and SoundCloud to get the inside scoop from top execs in the world of digital transformation.